Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me be blessed by the read of God's word. Let us pray together. God, I'm so grateful for what you've already done in this place. I pray now that as we open your word, that your word would transform us. God, I pray that your word would draw those who are far from you to you. I pray for those that believe in you as their Savior, that you would use your word to give them hope and life. God, I pray for all the churches here in Walter Hill and in Murfreesboro that stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ as they preach uh, your word today. I pray that you would use those pastors uh, to do the same, to herald your gospel, and through the heralding of your word that you, through your Holy Spirit, would draw uh, men and women to yourself, those who were once far would be near, and that you would use your word to redeem people. Uh, we pray that for us here at Palace Chapel this morning. Lead us in God as I pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you were not with us last week, we started a new series in the book of 1 Peter. The title of the series is called Grace Over Disgrace. And in what this book is going to look at is how the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the grace of Jesus Christ, covers all of our disgrace. We'll look at that in detail this morning. We'll look at this one word. The one word that we see this morning is the word hope. That we have a hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? And we're going to look at this morning how the hope of Jesus Christ and how that happens and what that does for us and how we can never lose that this morning. I was reading this week and even today as we were singing, I thought of this, uh, this, this quote that I read. And I believe it's so true. It must be true for us. If you've ever wondered um, why churches start with singing and then go to the Word and then end with singing, I believe it's because of this idea. It comes out of Peter, comes out of the entire New Testament. The quote is this, all sound theology must begin and end with doxology. Let me say that one more time. All theology, that's what we looked at last week, the theology of election. We're going to look at the theology of hope this morning. We're going to continue to look at the theology of what Christ has done for us. But see, if we do, if we only have theology Without doxology, um, theology doesn't bring transformation. Only doxology brings transformation. Doxology is this. It's the worship of God. And so if we have a poor worship of God or a poor view on who God is, then our theology is going to be built on uh, pebbles. And so this morning as you come into this place and you begin to have doxology or worship Back to God, doxology opens our heart up to theology, the study of God. And then we must come out of the study of God, and that's what we do at the end of the service. We go back and we worship God based on what He just taught us through the theology of God. So we must, as a church, we must have a sound theology, but we must, it must be built on a solid doxology. And so for us, we'll see that here as Peter uh, starts off his letter, remember last week we looked at the greeting, we looked at he's talking to the elect, to the chosen, the ones that God has redeemed to himself and called to himself. And then he says this in the very first um, 
part of the letter, after the greeting of the letter in verse 3, he says, Blessed be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So circle the word blessed. He starts off with doxology. He starts his whole letter off after his greeting, who he is and who he's writing to with doxology, with praise to God. Let's praise God before we get into the rest. Because here's the deal, with the rest of the book, there's some very hard things theologically that we'll have to wrestle with. Uh, One we'll see next week. We're going to look at the theology of suffering. And if we don't have a a proper view on who God is, a proper, proper worship of who God is, and we can't say, blessed be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then we went, when we enter into our suffering and we don't have the theology of who God is and the doxology of who we praise, then everything will fall to pieces. And so this morning, we must first, before we even get into the rest of the passage, is do one thing. And I'm going to ask us to do one thing. Let us, in a quiet moment, Give praise back to God, however that looks like for you. And then I'm going to go into the rest of the passage, and the rest of the passage is about this word hope. But if we don't know who God is this morning, we have no hope. Amen? If there is no God, if there's no God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and we don't praise God for who He is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then we will never have hope. We live in a hopeless world, correct? The hope that the world has is based on stuff rather than a creator, a sustainer, a maker, a savior, the God of the universe. And so in this moment, let's take just a moment to pause and however it is for you, give praise in your heart to who God is. God, we do praise you for who you are. You are our great hope this morning. I pray this morning, even now, God, as we just took a few moments to reflect on who you are, that you, through your goodness and your kindness to us, would stir our affections for you. God, we need you to stir our affections. Not a song that John sings or a song that Keith sings over us, or even my teaching, God. We need you to stir our affections. So I pray that would happen to us in this moment as we come to hear about hope. You are the great hope. Let that be true for us in this moment. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. You read those verses again, and then we'll break them into three sections. First section is God establishes our hope. We'll we'll look next at God maintains our hope. And finally, we'll we'll look at uh, God protects our hope or he guards our hope. And so for us this morning, God establishes our hope. We see that in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance or to a hope that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power is being guarded through faith 
for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so the first thing that we see is this. God is the one who establishes our hope. Let's see that first and foremost. He just gave doxology to God. God, blessed, blessed be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to what? His great mercy. He has called us to be born again to a living hope. God is the one that establishes our hope and He established it first through mercy. See, our hope comes through mercy. If we have no mercy, then we will not get the rest of the hope. You see, mercy is this. Mercy is the idea that looks at our condition. So when we see that because of God's great mercy, God's mercy reveals to us our condition. What is our condition? What do we need God's mercy for? Uh, the, The list is exhaustive, but here's just a few things. We need God's mercy for our deceitful hearts. We have wicked hearts, the Bible tells us. That even our most righteous deeds are yet but filthy rags to God. In Jeremiah 17, it says, The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And so I need God's mercy for my wicked heart. What else do I need God's mercy for? I need God's mercy for my corrupt mind. Uh, My mind is a dangerous playground. And so I need God's mercy for the things that go on in my dome. The the wicked thoughts that I have. The things that I cannot control. I need God's mercy to be poured out for me on those things. The other thing that we see is our wicked desires. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And so just those three things. If you were to see someone in the court of law with a wicked heart with a deceitful heart, with a corrupt mind and wicked desires, you and I would declare them guilty, correct? If someone comes into the courtroom and they list all the things that they have done wrong and all the ways that they have sinned against God, you and I would say guilty as charged. That's true for every one of us here this morning. We've all entered into the courtroom of God and we all have deceitful minds, corrupt minds, deceitful hearts, wicked desires, ungodly motives, hidden agendas. And it's in that moment when we come into the courtroom of God that we face a holy God and our, 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 the mercy of God reveals to us just how depraved we really are. Because we do have a great judge, amen? And, and if I come into the courtroom and I have a, a merciful, just God, then God is going to look at me and say to me, hey, you are convicted as charged. But here's the deal with mercy. Here's the mercy of God. If you want to know just a, a simple definition of the mercy of God, it's simply this, not getting what we do deserve. That is the mercy of God. You see, if I stand before a holy God and I reveal all the wickedness to God and then God declares me, what, righteous, it's not because of anything I've done, it's because of everything He, the Father, has done. His mercy has been poured out onto me. It's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. But God being, what, rich in mercy because of what His great love with which He loved us. Verse 5, even when we were, what, dead, we talked about that last week. 
Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God's mercy brought us to life. We did not in our own thinking, our own best thinking, think, hey, I need to resurrect myself. No, I need the mercy of God to look at my life as dead as it was and for him to say, hey, Todd, come forth the way he did Lazarus in the tomb. And he says, even when you were what dead in your trespasses, what happened? You were made alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. But it's the mercy of God, through the grace of God, that you've been saved. We're going to get to the faith part. But we have to say this. God is the one that establishes our hope through His mercy. You see, if I do not understand the mercy of God, then I won't understand that He's established a hope deeper than that. You see, it's God's great love and God's great mercy that I have hope. It can't just be because God's great justice, I have hope. If it was just God's justice, I'd be doomed with no hope. I need God's mercy in my life, and it's the mercy of God that gives me hope. And what happens when the mercy of God is poured out on me, and God, just like he says in Paul, calls me out from my dead sins into life, he gives me what? It says this, being what? Born again. It's His great mercy that caused me to be born again. It's nothing I've done or you have done that's allowed you to be born again. It's God's great mercy on your life that you are born again. And so we see the next thing. Because of God's mercy on your life, you have hope, but the hope comes out of His mercy from Him uh, calling you from death to life, giving you life. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says this in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. It's the same idea that Jesus in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, the most famous verse in the Bible. Uh, for, all of, uh, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the whole passage leading up to that is about him talking to Nicodemus about needing to be born again. And Nicodemus has this crazy thought that he's going to crawl back into his mom and, and God, Jesus is like, no, you need to be born again by the Spirit of God and only the Spirit of God can cause you to be born again. It's only God that can resurrect. You and I cannot resurrect ourselves. And that's what Peter is saying here. It says, according to his great mercy, he, God, through Christ, through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead, he's called you to be born again. And so, because now I'm born again, I have a hope. It's the mercy of God that I have hope. It's because I'm born again that I have hope. It's because now what was once uh, standing before the court of God, and I had a deceitful, um, corrupt mind, a deceitful heart, and wicked desires, now that I come to Christ Jesus, the old is gone and the new is there. The new is present. And it's not anything I've done. It's the mercy of God that's been done for me it's the shedding of his blood that's been done for me the moment that he resurrects me and calls me from death to light he pours out his spirit onto me and the blood of christ covers me and once the blood of christ covers me the old is gone and the new has come i've been born again i have a new resurrection if you will here's what one writer says i I love this quote he says this peter writes 
of a sure hope. A hope that holds the future in the present because it is anchored in the past. See, we have a hope today because of what happened in the past. And it's anchored in the past, and it's anchored not because of what you or I have done, it's because of what's been anchored at the moment of the cross and the resurrection of Christ. That's where our hope is anchored. See, we would have no hope if Christ never rose from the dead. We'd be like every other religion. But our hope is we look back and we have this hope that sees that Christ was on a cross, he was buried, and now that the hope, he rose from the dead, and it's his resurrection from the dead that we have hope, because without it, we would have no hope. We would have no resurrection of our own. And so we can look back at what Christ did as our hope. He says, Peter holds for God's salvation, that's the cross, God's deliverance, that's the forgiveness of sin, from sin and death. His hope, we are sure, because God has already accomplished his salvation, what? In the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. See, all of our hope can be summed up at the cross and at the grave, and that the grave is empty today. See, our great hope is that you and I, we, uh, it's crazy to me. People go and visit an empty grave. And you stand in line, you're not going to see Jesus in the grave. It's empty. I'll save you some time. You can go to Israel and take the tour and wait in two hours of line. The, the tomb is still going to be empty. But that's our great hope. And who does that? We don't do it. Our hope is established in what God has done through the accomplished work of Christ Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection. That's our hope. And here's the next part in verse 4. He says this. So our hope is established in God through Christ Jesus, through his resurrection from the dead, and it is maintained by God, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading god maintains our hope we see three words imperishable undefiled and unfading so our hope that we have in christ is three things it's imperishable it's undefiled and it's unfading our hope in christ is unperishable that means it will never be destroyed if what God is saying through Peter in this verse, in verse 4, we have what? Inheritance or a hope that is what? Unperishable, unperishable. We have a hope in Christ Jesus that will never be destroyed. No one can come and take our hope from God and destroy our hope in God. Though that's the plan of the enemy every single day is to destroy our hope and yet we can come confidently to God's word and God says, no, your hope cannot be destroyed. Do we have that hope this morning? Do I, me, this is such a convicting passage for me this week. Do I really have a hope that would say to a lost world, yes, I have a hope in Jesus Christ that cannot be destroyed? Or do I allow my circumstances to destroy my hope? Because if I allow my circumstances to destroy my hope, I may not have hope in anything other than what I've established God to be. And I can't make God anything other than what God already is. And if my hope is, rend- is, is weakened because of my circumstances, I've got to go back to what Peter said in the first place. What's, what am I praising? What am I worshiping? What's my doxology? 
Because I'm, a, I'm worshiping a holy God, a trustworthy God, a loving God, an all-knowing God, a caring God, then I've got to look at my circumstances and say to myself, well, my circumstances may change, but my God never changes. And so if my God never changes, then my hope will be unchanging as well. It won't be destroyed. That's so convicting to me as your pastor over the last couple weeks. There's been moments for me that I'll look and think, man, I've got no hope. Well, I've got to remind myself, no, no, no. My hope is not in my circumstances. That's not where my hope is. My hope is in what? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. My hope has to be in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So the first thing, God maintains our hope. It is imperishable. The next thing it says this, it's undefiled. It means this, our hope is unpolluted. Our hope is pure. You see, everything in creation was stained at the fall. When the fall happened, sin wreaked havoc and stained everything. But what it did not stain is my hope. You see, the hope of Jesus Christ has been forever and ever, even well before sin entered the picture, there was God who established hope. And yet at the moment of Adam and Eve and their sin, they fell and stained, wreaked havoc on everything. That's where I come into discouragement and look and think to myself, because my hope has changed, my sinfulness looks at my circumstances rather than to God. And yet God maintains our hope because it's undefiled, it's unpolluted. It is not stained with sin. Though I'm stained with sin, my hope in Jesus Christ is not. Christ was perfect. The cross was perfect. The death of Christ was perfect. The burial of Christ was perfect. And the resurrection of Christ was perfect. There is no sin involved in any of that other than his obedience to take on my sin. But it was not his sin that put him on the cross. It was mine. And the last one is so, so encouraging, I hope. It's this. God maintains our hope because we have a hope that's unfading. That word is used as a picture. Uh, if you've ever seen flowers, flowers fade. If we leave these up for a few days, these flowers will not be as vibrant as they once were. And so even though they, they'll eventually die, but even as they live, they're still fading away. And yet we have a hope that does not fade away. It's just as alive today as it was 2,000 years ago, and it will be just as alive today as it will be in 2,000 years. We have a hope in Jesus Christ that never fades. You and I could leave clothes on, on, on the... Uh, maybe people don't do this anymore, but on the, the clothes line out back. You leave your clothes out there long enough, they're going to fade. If I leave my clothes in my car long enough, they're going to fade. But my hope never fades. 
Do I believe that this morning? Do I come to God's word in 1 Peter and say, man, I'm born again to a living hope and that living hope never fades away? And if my hope is fading in and out like the radio, then there's not something wrong with my hope. There's something wrong with me. This is the same way it is if I'm, uh, the farther and farther I get from a radio station, the station fades out, which means the station's not the problem. I'm the problem. And so for me, if my hope is fading, I've got to ask some serious questions. Have I journeyed away from the Lord? Because I know God's not gone anywhere. And so if my faith is fading, I need to turn around. That's what we talked about last week. Through repentance and return back to God, the closer I get to God, the more clear and the more vibrant my hope becomes. And so God maintains our hope because it's imperishable. It's undefiled and it's unfading. You'll see this on the screen. This is what one writer had to say about it. I, I, it caught my eye. I was like, man, that is awesome. It's unperishable. It's death proof. It's undefiled. It's sin proof. And it's unfading. It's time proof. And we have a hope in Jesus Christ, our resurrection from the dead. We have a hope in Jesus Christ in us today. It's not something that's out there waiting for us. It's something that is internal in us today if you're a believer. Is my faith, is my hope imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? That's the question I've got to ask. Which leads us to the last point. In verse 5, really verse 4b through 5. Kept in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We see these things. God secures our hope. So not only does God establish our hope through the resurrection of Christ, not only does God maintain our hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but God secures our hope in the power of the resurrected Christ. And we see the first word, underline this in your Bible, kept in heaven. It's kept. You and I don't keep our hope. It's kept for us. That word kept means to be watched over. Meaning that no one or no thing can take our hope or our inheritance from us. Here's the beauty. And we'll get to the next word in it. The word kept means this. It's like a safe deposit box. You put something in the safe deposit box, they put it in the drawer, they slam the drawer shut, they, give, they take the key, and it's kept. No one can get in there and take it. It's kept. And here's the two things that we see in this passage. The first thing is this. It's protected from escaping. My hope, I cannot escape my own hope. I cannot run from my hope. My hope is secure. So my hope in Jesus Christ secures me from myself. You see, so many people say, you know, they talk about being backslidden. Which I get the concept to an extent. I just don't believe it biblically. We either are saved and we're kept, or we're not saved and we're not kept. You see, if God says to us in the Gospels, hey, no one can take you out of the Father's hand, that means no one. You and I can't take ourselves out of His hand, nor can anyone take me out of His hand. 
So God's hope protects me from myself from even wanting to escape. If I'm in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm focused on Him as my hope, I won't want to leave. But what does it also do? It also protects us from attacks. So it protects me from myself and it protects me from other people. See, if I have a hope that's secured by God, it's kept by God, I can't go anywhere and no one can take me from God. No one can take my hope from me. It's secured in God. God has kept it for me in heaven, it says. And here's the next word. Not only is it kept for us in heaven, but what? It is guarded. You see, I can keep something in the safe deposit box, but there's one step closer. It's not only kept in there, but there's the God of the universe that guards it. So it's not just kept and locked away and stowed away and no one's watching over it, but we got the God of the universe that is keeping our hope and looking over our hope. Do we believe that this morning? And it happens through our faith. He says, it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power... God is an all-powerful God who guards it, what, through faith. So my hope is kept in God, and it's guarded by God through my faith in God. And we talked about last week, I don't have a faith unto myself. I don't have enough whatever it is in me to have faith. I need God through my salvation, my resurrection from the dead. Once I get resurrected from the dead, it says that the Holy Spirit is implanted in me. That is my faith. It's my faith in Christ Jesus. Not anything I've done, but what God has done for me that gives me a faith in my salvation or in my hope. And if I have the Holy Spirit in me, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then we have the faith of Christ in us that protects our hope. Do we believe that this morning? Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says this, For grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not on your own doing. Let me read that again. For grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. You've been saved by grace through faith, and it's not a work of your own doing. You do not give yourself the grace, and you do not give yourself the faith. It comes by God and God alone. It is what? A gift of God. Verse 9, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. I can't boast of my own faith. What it does, it points me back. If I have a proper theology, like we said at the beginning, my proper theology will explode in my doxology. The more I know about God and all that God's done for me, it's going to flow out of me to have a great worship of God. Because then I said, man, I didn't have the grace. I didn't have the faith. I didn't have the born again. God did for me what I could not do for me, which will explode into me a worshipful attitude to a holy God. And so if I have a worship problem, then I've got to look at my theology to say my theology's busted up. You see, you don't have a worship problem because of the hymns that we sing, whether you like them or not, whether it's contemporary or not. If you and I can't come in here and worship God, then I have to look at my life and look at my theology of who God is because all the songs that we sing point back to the theology of God. 
whether it's from the 1800s or from the 2000s, if we are singing a song that John has picked because John has prayed to God and all that we do is going to point back to the greatness of who God is. And so if I don't like the music, then I have a God problem, not a music problem. Which then points us to what? It's my faith that points me to what he says in verse 5 through what? For salvation. Salvation meaning to be rescued from or to be delivered from. Here's the beautiful part about this passage. This passage is talking about our salvation that is to come. Right? He says, and for a salvation what ready to be revealed in the last time. So we have a salvation that happened for us years ago, moments ago. We have a salvation today, but we also have a salvation that is waiting for us in heaven. Here's what it looks like. There's the three tenses of salvation. There's the justification of our salvation. That's the moment that you and I entered into the courtroom of God. In the courtroom of God, His mercy is poured out over you and His grace is poured out over you. And in the mercy and the grace of God is what we call the justification of God. God has declared you righteous in spite of all that you've done. The justification of God happened at the moment of your salvation. You're being reborn is justification. And justification delivers us, what, from the penalty of sin. For all of us, there is a penalty of sin. We must pay a penalty or a penalty must be paid for us. And in justification, the penalty of our sin has been paid for us by the work of Christ on the cross. And then the next part of salvation, the longest part of our salvation, is what we call sanctification. Sanctification is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit that God implanted to us in the moment of our justification. The Holy Spirit comes into us. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us of our sin. In our conviction of our sin, we uh, return and repent to God. And through that, we have been delivered from the power of sin. You see, if you're a believer, sin has no more power in your life because the Holy Spirit is in you. And when we begin to realize that the Holy Spirit is in us, then the power of God is in us, then the power of sin and Satan cannot reign in us because of our sanctification. The more I become more like Christ, the less power, the less grip that sin has on me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me on the cross and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in my life. But here's what Peter is talking about here in verse 5. It's the idea of glorification. That there is a moment for us and it's waiting for us that's been kept for us and being guarded for us that in the moment we die, we enter into heaven and that great gift, that great hope is going to be poured out and showered on us. It's called glorification. It's the deliverance from the very presence of sin. You see, right now we've been delivered from the penalty of sin the power of sin, but man, you walk out this front door, you will be surrounded by the presence of sin. Correct? Sin is all around us. But there is a moment that we have great hope for. And it's not a hope like maybe it will happen, 
maybe it has a chance to happen. No, it's the hope that says, no, this is going to happen. I just have to hope and wait for when it does happen. And when it does happen, the very presence of sin is uh, done away with in our lives. There is no sin in heaven. That's called glorification, that we enter into our glorified bodies, that there is no longer any sin in us. There's no more dominion of sin in us. And that's what Peter is talking about. There is a hope in salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. It's what the psalmist said this. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 5 and 6, he says, The Lord is my portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support me. You support my lot. You are indeed my heritage, my inheritance, and is beautiful to me. Here's what Jeremiah says in Lamentations chapter 3. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. Do we have hope today in Christ Jesus? Do we have hope or is it true for us that God has established our hope? Is it true for us that God is maintaining our hope? And is it true for us that God has secured our hope? Is that true for you today? Is it true for me today? Because if it's not true, then these next few verses that we're going to look at about suffering, uh, we're in trouble. These next few verses that we're going to study is all about trials and suffering. And so if I don't have a proper understanding that I have a hope that's been established by God, that's being uh, renewed by God every day and secured by God, then the moment that the trial comes, man, I'm jumping ship. But it's my hope that allows me to stay the course to my glorification in God and go through the trials because I believe that God has something greater for me beyond the trial. But it's my hope. Am I holding on to that hope? Here's what Edmund Clowney said. Our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus rose. Amen. Our hope reminds us of the present. Jesus lives. Amen. Our hope is completed in the future. Jesus is coming. Jesus rose. Jesus lives. And Jesus is coming. That's our great hope. Let us pray. I'm just reminded, God, of the song. Our hope is built on nothing else. I pray that would be true for all of us, God. What is my hope built on this morning, God? Your word is clear. You established our hope. You maintain our hope and you secure our hope. God, I pray if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, that you aren't their great hope, that today would be the moment, God, that you would draw them to yourself. That you would breathe life into death and through that, God, they would be transformed and drawn close to you, God. Continue to lead us. Continue to guide us. Be our great hope. We pray this in the name and fame.
of Jesus Christ. It's for your glory and for our good. God, we pray. Amen.